from gassers to pro mods after 38 years of drag racing. A member of the York US 30 Legion of Honor, a member of the East Coast Drag Times Hall of Fame, and recently honored at the 25th Superstock AFX reunion, ladies and gentlemen, Wally Bell. RacersReunionRadio.com and RacersReunion.com, and um, we are really proud this evening to have a true pioneer of uh, in the sport of drag racing. And um, let me start out by uh, let me just say welcome, Jay Howell. But Jay, let me uh, you had a story done by Phil Burgess uh, that was just incredible. I'm going to just kind of. With your permission, I'm going to start with the first two paragraphs, and then we'll get into the career and the the many things that Jay Howell did in uh, in drag racing. But Jay Howell was among the most unsung drag racing heroes that you never knew about. Regular readers of uh, of Phil's column may be familiar, as we are, people all through the years, and of course. The older people, like myself, certainly knew who Jay Howell was. But you're always mentioned. Jay Howell's name comes up uh, constantly uh, in, in regard to many, many early funny cars and, and some really cool really cool stuff. But those old-time racers, we all know, and we love and know and respect Jay Howell for your ability to build and drive race cars during a, uh, a wild career of the, in the 60s. Uh, you, you did have a hand in building most, some really famous vehicles. Uh, you drove for Don Prudhomme. Uh, you were trusted to do a lot of things for a lot of people. Uh, and Jay, I didn't know, uh, when you were born, but, uh, Phil Burgess spilled, spilled the beans. But you were born in Detroit in 1942. You and your brother Jim were raised by your grandparents after your mom and dad died. Uh, you found your calling very early, like your, uh, your buddy Gordy Faust, who's on here with us, cruising Detroit's legendary Woodward Avenue as a teenager, stoking your hot rod dreams. Your first car was a Buick Special that you bought new from Carl Fisher's dealership, and you worked there as a mechanic, and he sponsored that car. You ran in D-Stock, and the following year, Jay, I love the way you did things, you put a blower on it and ran Seagas Supercharged. At, uh, after General Motors dropped its factory support, which uh, I often wonder, General Motors sponsors you for like 20 days, I think. You know, Then they get out, they get in, get out. I know all that. But they gave you all the engine and the spare parts. You built a cool, cool roadster and ran middle eliminator at Detroit and Motor City Dragways. So with all that beginning, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. Um, happy to be here. A little, little intimidated. I'm, you know, here I am conversing with legends, and <laughs> I was just the guy that was uh, that did my thing for a while. But thank you. 
Well, you did you did a hell of, a hell of a lot of good things. You know, at the very beginning here, and I like the background. Pete Seaton, you know, it's funny. I was in upstate New York, and uh, you know, and and uh, I was selling Chevrolets at that time, and I thought I, you know, it was really cool to know who all the big guns in General Motors were. Well, Charlie, I think it was Charlie Seaton was one of the big guns, and his son Pete was uh, was a pretty cool guy, and. I didn't realize that uh, you, he had a 60 Pontiac Superstock car, and uh, the driver was Jay Howell. Well, actually, the, the stand corrected on, on, on the 60 Superstocker of Pete's, my brother was the driver. Um, oh, really? That's, that, yep, that's my brother, my older brother Jim. In fact, he was the ran the first 13 second run in a Superstocker in the Detroit Dragway history. 1960 with that car um and uh my brother was uh you know kind of really was the one who was guilty or responsible for getting my attention to the sport the way it all turned out and i became friends with pete and then very good friends with pete and then business partners with pete um pete was a hell of a guy um i miss i miss his sense of humor and his uh his approach, if you will, uh, to this day. <laughs> it, it sounds like uh, you and he were, you know, hit it off very, very well as friends and, like you say, as partners. Uh, and the company was Automotive Engineering, correct? Yes, yes. And, uh, boy, Jay, anybody that had uh, anything you blessed, uh, it was pretty cool. So you, you guys built a lot of stuff, didn't you? Yeah, more than more than I ever imagined that we started off with a pretty much you know do anything it takes to make a living approach, engines, um, you know chassis, two front axles, whatever. You know we were a fabrication shop and it did engines and stuff, and and it just kept morphing into the chassis business more and more and more until we we had to give up everything else. Uh, you know Pete went his way. With his funny car, and, and uh, we uh, terminated our partnership on the on absolutely the the best possible um, way one one could do it. You know, he just said you 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 are. He said you've got it figured out. You know what you're doing. You don't need me anymore. Um, thanks. It's been great. And we just we we stayed in the same building. Um, I built his uh, sixty seven Corvair which uh mm-hmm. for him there and uh ended up driving it for a while as a matter of fact after um we he decided to put a supercharger on it but uh you say Pete was an outstanding individual you know uh Jay there was one very important mission that I was given tonight by Mark Higginbotham to say hello to you he can't listen to the show tonight but he said he may uh he's working with some fellow on a and a field dragster, and uh, I think, as you know, this is the weekend of the Hot Rod reunion in California. And I don't know if, you know, if they're heading that direction or what. But, but he uh, he thinks the world of you, and he wanted me to be sure and tell you hello. Well, I appreciate that. Um, we raced Martin and his car, you know, several times over the years, and he was a, always a fierce competitor and a, also a. Uh, an enjoyable individual. Well, he said the same thing about you. He told me that uh, 
you had an innate quality to to reach out to the fans that came up to the cars. You were very nice to people, and he said not only uh, was Jay Howell a killer driver, but but he was uh, very nice to the people that bought a ticket to watch it. Well, that's that's nice of him to say. You know, we all tried to do our own thing the best way we knew how back then. Well, it didn't. And you know it's very very well put, Jay. Now, when you before you struck out on your own, though, you you actually worked for Dick Branster uh, up in Troy, Michigan. And whenever I think of Branster, I think of Roger Lindemood. Uh, tell our listeners about about that little part of your life. Well, after. I met Dick shortly after the 64 Nationals. I raced that double B altered um, that you're talking about, which had a supercharged 215 cubic inch aluminum Buick in it. And we did pretty well. We didn't win the race, but it was uh, it was great competing. And then Dick and I um, became acquainted, and he was opening up uh, Bransner Enterprises, and he offered me uh, the job of running the shop. And uh, so I, you know, heck, why not? I'm 21 years old, you know. <laughs> you know, how often does that opportunity uh, come knocking on your front door? So I went to work for them. And the first car that they, we ended up with of any, I, I guess, uh, consequence was the little red wagon. And uh, I, was gonna ask I you guess about you, that you know the history of that. that. I'm, I'm sorry? I was getting ready to ask you if you had anything to do with that. Yeah, I remember I, when they brought I, it to Detroit Dragway. Yeah, and, and when they Brad, uh, Little Red Wagon was built by two Christ two Dodge engineers in Dodge truck, uh, John Collier and Jim Schaefer. And Jim Schaefer, I, I knew, and they kept telling me about this truck they were building. And uh, lo and behold, it, you know, it was the Little Red Wagon, and then it. Uh, got passed around ram chargers had it for a while and you know they were trying to figure out what to do with this thing um so it got handed to Bransner, and Bransner turned it over to me and assigned me to the project and said do something with it and, you know so i said okay <laughs> first thing we did is we put a roll cage in it make it safe and then i built a took out the stock 426 hemi in the engine and put an injected Emmy on 35, I guess 35% nitro in it, and you know, once that happened, we took it out, and uh, you didn't have to do neutral starts anymore, and that I was the guy driving it, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, when it stood it on its tailgate for the first time, and uh, the rest is history. It was just a, it was a phenomenal experience. Later, we put a, I built a supercharged motor in it, and. Uh, it did a wheel stand in the lights. That happened to be the, the same day that uh, Bill Maverick Golden came to pick it up. Dodge had assigned the vehicle to him to campaign. He did a heck of a job with it and all of its successors, and uh, he developed the steering brakes um, that made them where you could actually go straight down the quarter mile. Uh, Got to give the guy a lot of credit for that, and he did a good job with it. Well, you know, Jay, let's back up just a little bit. And uh, okay. Jay Howell is, uh, you know, uh, if anybody has been around the sport a while, they remember the neutral starts. And Jay Howell sounds to me like you were one of the guys that kind of figured that deal out. And 
boy, when something goes bad, uh, you can split a 727 and spread it, oh, hell, about a 20-foot area if it comes apart. Isn't that true? Yeah. You know, you got to put everything in perspective, at least from my standpoint. I, first of all, I'm in my early 20s. You know, all yep. the Chrysler engineers starting and, and the Buckle and, and the Hoover, uh, you know, those guys walked on water in my estimation and sure. we would go out and test at Detroit Dragway with different vehicles and one of the things that they were testing was neutral starts so you bring the engine up to 7000 go to wide open throttle and punch the drive button and uh, it would sometimes it worked pretty well and sometimes it was disastrous and I, I was you know in amazed in amazement I one of the transmission engineers he said comes up to me and I'm, I'm scratching my head and of course I'm you know got to clean up participate in cleaning up the mess and he says let me tell you what happens inside the transmission you take it to 7000 you got everything inside that transmission is going let's say counterclockwise yep. you go to wide open throttle and you punch the drive button everything has to stop and go 7000 in the other direction and it really doesn't like doing that <laughs> <laughs> I like that I that's like funny that. That yeah. is good. Well, well hey, Wally, you have that neutral start till Dick Aarons won the Super Magazine Nationals by doing that. Well, it, it, you know, it's funny how well, things start out. 400. Yeah, well, I was going to say, Gordy, it's something how how things start with the racer sometimes. And what Jay said is so cool that, hell, you're in your early 20s. Uh, Jay, you were like a kid in a candy store with a lot of ability. Uh, it wasn't a bad place to be, was it? No, I'll tell you, it was. It was, uh, you know, being at the right time, at the right place, with the right people, and I, I just happened to be there. You know, it was just, you know, I had a little bit of talent, and, and I had a lot of, uh, um, I was, you know, ambition. I was willing to work, and I was absolutely enthralled by the. The whole concept of what was going on back in those days—it was—it's uh, hard to describe. Well, it, it, it is. I, I had—I um, have a couple of things before we get on with the, with the later, you know, some really cool things. Uh, Tony uh, Knepper and his GTO. Uh, it's funny, all those names, Jay—they uh, were all contemporaries of yours back in the day, huh? Yeah, I. First time I did that, the, the, the little red wagon did that wheel stand. Tony was in the lane next to me, and the truck always had a bit of a tendency to lead right. And uh, now with the wheels, I don't know, seven, eight feet in the air, and you know it led right. And, I, and Tony was in the lane next to me, and I couldn't see him. And I was afraid to lift off the throttles for fear I would drop the truck on top of his uh, Pontiac. So I, you know, I stayed in it until I saw him drive out from underneath me, and then I dropped it like a ton of bricks. But because no one had ever, ever anticipated that that truck would stand on the tailgate, that was, uh, you know, there were. I think I sent you a picture, and which was taken by a Dodge photographer at the Motor City the day it did that. And that picture I sent you was the first time it ever did that wheel stand. Is that it? I'm looking right at it, Jay, and and uh, like you said, it was pretty wild. I mean, it, and you know, I I got to ask you this: 
here's Jay Howell behind the wheel of this thing. What did it feel like to you? Because this is totally uncharted territory. Can you imagine your eyes getting so big they touched? I love it. Well, listen, with that, Jeff, let's take a commercial break and come back and get into uh, some pretty wild things that were happening to Jay Howell. This is Charlie Craig, and you're listening to Racers Reunion Radio. If you wear the wrong boxer shorts, you will experience fallout. If you experience fallout in front of your wife and her friends, you'll become an embarrassment to your wife. If you're an embarrassment to your wife, she may have an affair. If your wife has an affair, you may cause bodily harm to her boyfriend. If you cause bodily harm to your wife's boyfriend, you may end up in prison. And if you end up in prison, you'll be taking showers with prisoners. And if you're taking showers with prisoners, well, let's just leave it at that. Don't shower with prisoners and save your marriage. Buy Ubatuba boxer shorts with his patented off-centered fly at www.ubatubaboxershorts.com. That's U-B-A-T-U-B-A, Ubatuba. So go to ubatubaboxershorts.com or click the banner on this website. Get yours today. You'll be glad you did. Hey, Junior, when do you think we'll be able to get some of that fine Maurice's barbecue where we live? When pigs fly. Why you have to go and make some kind of smart aleck remark? I'm serious. Bubba, you big dummy, you can get Maurice's barbecue anywhere in the new United States right now by using that thar flying pig service they got online. Oh, well, why didn't you just say that? I just did, you dang goober. Voted best barbecue in the USA. Maurice's Barbecue is real pit-cooked barbecue cooked 24 hours over hickory coals. Now, you can get Maurice's award-winning barbecue delivered right to your door anywhere in the USA. Check out the complete Flying Pig product catalog at maurice'sbarbecue.com. That's www.m-a-u-r-i-c-e-s-b-b-q.com. Or give them a call at 1-800-MAURICE. That's one 800 Six two eight seven four two three. Broken heart, I can't help you. Rocket science, don't know what to tell you. I may not know how to get to the moon, but when I want to fly, my crew knows what to do. Crank around the world in the left rear. You only turn a nine thousand feet in leather gear. Hi, my name is Melissa Rogers, and I'm 10 years old. When I was only 8 days old, they gave me a sweat test and found out that I had cystic fibrosis. Cystic fibrosis is a genetic terminal disease. Sometimes it's hard for me to breathe because of the thick, sticky mucus in my lungs. In only my 10 years of life, I have spent more days in the hospital than any average adult would have. But I don't let CF control my life. I'm just a a normal kid like everybody else. If you would like to make a donation and help find a cure for cystic fibrosis or help find a cure for me, go to 
www.cff.org and help make a difference. Broadcasting live, this is The Wally Bell Show. everybody and and again we're very excited to have Jay Howell with us and Jay after the the little red wagon um headed down the road with with Bill Golden Bill Maverick Golden um you got a chance it really worked out pretty slick because you wanted to build a really cool car a dart charger a mid-engine blown injected nitro funny car and if I'm not mistaken, you get Chrysler to kind of buy into that. Is that true? Yeah, it, it is. Um, the, the the long, the short version of the long story was, you know, uh, Dodge Public Relations Director Frank Wiley, an outstanding individual in my estimation. He was the one who funded the building of the Little Red Wagon. It was it was his his pet project. And after it turned into the wheel stand uh, phenomenon, which started everything that we've seen since, um, he came to me at Bransner's, and he he knew I wasn't happy losing the truck. You know, I I had taken it from something and turned it into something really nice. And uh, he said, "Don't worry, I'll make it up to you." And I, you know, fine. You know, what's next? I got to. And so then we built the cotton picker for Cotton Owens and David Pearson when Hemis were banned by NASCAR. And, how, uh, how did, did, did that had, had to be a fun deal for you, Jay. To talk about that just for a minute, please. Uh, David Pearson's one of the great personalities in all of racing. Did, did you spend a little time with David and everything? Very little. Very little, actually. Uh, we, we had to hustle to get the car done. A lot of pressure was put on Bransner to get this the, the vehicle done because of the the NASCAR Hemi ban and uh, Jim Robbins maybe a name you remember uh, yep. was an entrepreneur guy in Troy Michigan that made seatbelts at a seatbelt factory amongst other things but he had an airstrip that ran right alongside of I-75 and he used to fly his jet in and out of there so we got the car the, the cotton picker done and I had worked I think three days around the clock I mean without going home um, period or sleeping getting this thing done and uh, <clears throat> we got the news that we were supposed to test it that day and, and they had made arrangements for um, to reuse rent borrow Jim Robbins airstrip so Cotton Owens was there David Pearson was there and Bransner myself and the rest of the crew were there we unloaded the car it was still in in bare sheet metal, it, we built it from a body in white, injected motor in it, and so I put about fifty percent in the thing, and we had marked off a quarter mile, and uh, you know made an easy pass that handled good, made another pass that handled better, and then we kind of just stepped on it, 
and uh, it it ran like a son of a gun. And, and uh, what well, the funny part of it was that I, I I figured the car was running close to 160, and I pulled the parachute, and the parachute blew up close to the fence uh, right along I-75, and came close to causing about a hundred car pile up. And then I the bet. police came by and said, "Ask if we were finished for the day, and they hope so." <laughs> but the car ran good. It showed a lot of potential. Um, handled good, ran good. It, I saw it as a real uh, competitive piece. And then it went on its way, and I didn't hear a lot of it after, since that point in time. But after that, Wiley came back to the shop, good to his word, and said, "What do you What do you want to build? What's your dream car?" And I said, "I want to build a." A, a mid-engine nitro funny car, and I sketched out something similar to the the uh, cotton picker with some changes in it. And he said, "Okay, here." And he, he and Branster went into the room and came out with a, a handshake deal on what Branster said was the first million-dollar contract ever let for a funny car. His words, not mine. And uh, wow. we had an un- unlimited draw on Chrysler manufactured parts. They delivered a brand new 66 Dodge Dart body in white. No, actually, it wasn't a body in white. Excuse me. They drove it in with a six-cylinder engine, and we took it apart, and we built the car. And uh, they also had, which was a surprise to me, if you remember the Dodge Chargers? Yep. The Those supercharged uh, Dodge Coronets or whatever they were. Well, they when they concluded that project, they stored everything. And there were warehouses full of parts. I mean, you or I could have retired on the number of stage three heads that were in crates. Um, But anyway, here, everything everything there you want, you take. So we built the car. Anyway, we took it out, and it looked like it was run pretty good. We took it up uh, to the Nationals in 60, what, 7, 6, 6 had to be 66. Set low ET and top speed of the meet. Funny cars. I mean, and everybody was there. Chrisman and all the rest of the guys were in it. No one had ever run in the, in the eights in one of those things. And you know, I ran a nine oh four at one hundred and sixty four miles an hour. Uh, still hitting on seven cylinders. We cleaned it up, and after that, went up to Union Road, Wisconsin. Ran eight sixty three at like one hundred and seventy three with the car, racing Mister Norm. And then uh, the. Branchner's uh, arrangement with Chrysler terminated, and they gave the car. I, I had left Branchner prior to that, and I went, was anxious to open my own shop, do my own thing. And uh, they they uh, they gave the car to Garlitz, and Gar- Garlitz put Emery Cook in it. And from what I've been told by Don um, and Red, is that they took the torque flight out because they didn't like transmission oil and those transmissions required a lot of work um, and put a clutch in and they moved the motor back and they moved the motor and in, in moving the motor back it put, the front end got light, the rear end got heavy and it turned over backwards and the lights at Detroit Emory walked away but that was the end of the car it pretty much wiped the car didn't it when that happened God <laughs> that, uh, well let Jay moving along your brother Jim and you were together a good bit here. Now, uh, in the new business, your brother was involved in turning out 
uh, Don Gay's Infinity GTO, the Ram yep. Charger Skinny Dart. That was a pretty car, that Skinny Dart. And uh, well, my brother worked. My brother worked for me when I had the, at the Oak. My first shop, Oak Park, was when I was I started off with Pete Seaton, and uh-huh. he he actually designed you know the the first tube chassis car, round tube chassis car that we ever built, which was the Don Gay GTO. Yep. Um, when we moved to larger quarters in Madison Heights, my brother no longer worked for me. He had family obligations, and and his workload at AMC had grown. And so anyway, he uh, that's when the, the Ram Chargers ca- came to me and wanted, and I ended up building a Skinny Dart. That was one of the last cars I turned out uh, prior to the merger with Logies. Gotcha, gotcha. That. Well, that car was cool looking. Uh, I've, I've always said, I've heard this said by a lot of others too, that the Jay Howell may have been the, the first, uh, the guy that thought up the tube chassis being a better way to build cars. And uh, you're, you're pretty well known for your innovative thoughts. And uh, so that, that car that Jim was involved with, uh, the Don Gay car was the first tube chassis car, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think it actually was the first round. Everyone else was building, myself included, were building square tube chassis. And gotcha. uh, he built a, he came up with a very unique design for a, uh, um, Roger Huntington came and looked at, if you remember that name, and he, yep. he thought it was the flippest thing he'd ever seen. And the car ran good. It was nice to hear, I, I think, after the car had been delivered, Six months or or more, uh, Mrs. Gay called me um, to thank me. She said that they the car had run someplace I don't know someplace down south, um, Thunder Valley or and it had run very well. It run in the mid eights and and she just said I got to tell you it's the nicest car we've ever owned. And you don't get calls like that much in the chassis business from people. No, I bet you don't. Well, that leads they me. Were uh, let Greg Zala. Uh, I know you, you, one of your favorite cars that, that Jay built. Uh, talk about that car with Jay. Well, thank you, Wally. And, and again, I want to just tell all the listeners out there, I know Jay started the show by saying, boy, it's, I'm a little intimidated to be on here with these legends. Uh, uh, let me tell all the listeners that Jay Howell, if ever there was a legend in drag racing that has touched so many facets of the sport as Jay has, both from driver to builder to uh, consultant or what have you. Jay Howell has been there and he's done that. And one of my all-time most impressive cars that I can remember and I had seen run in the past was the 67 Corvair that Jay built for Pete Seaton. It was the Seaton Shaker Corvair, uh, orange and white. And if I remember correctly, uh, Jay drove it initially, and then uh, a driver by the name of Terry Hedrick uh, set out and set records all over the place, won a lot of races with that car. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Jay, but I do believe you guys were running Chevy Power at the time, and you had all that experience with the with the Chrysler and so on. And here you have a Corvair that's out there just setting all these records. How about telling our listeners about that car and and what it meant to you? That car had quite a history. You know, when it was built, it was obviously built to replace the the frame twisting 
uh, Chevelle, that was the original seat and shaker, and uh, we they needed something that was sturdier, stronger, safer, and was designed to go faster. And uh, so we built the, the the Corvair, still built on a body in white, welded the the rear quarters and the roof on from individual panels and with a glass front end, and uh, put a Chevrolet Mark IV engine in it, injected, and it ran pretty good, but. You know, you could just see it wasn't, <clears throat> that wasn't going to last long. And then uh, Delmar was driving it, Delmar Heinel, another just treat of an individual to know. And uh, Delmar and Pete split up, and, and Pete said, you know, to me, we need to do, let's make this thing, let's hop it up. So I said, well, all right, we've got to put the supercharged motor in it. That's, you know, that's the direction everything's going. So we built the blown motor for it. And uh, we set the track record at Detroit at just shy of 180 miles an hour in it, which was pretty funny because the Ram Charger guys came over at Thornton and they said, like, what the hell did you do to this thing? You know, to make it run that kind of numbers. I looked and I said, we just leaned it out. <laughs> Everybody laughed. I love it. it. I love you it. know, it really really at the time, there were also a bunch of other Corvairs that were running nationally. I'm just going to name a couple of them. I know Hayden Prophet had a topless Corvair, and Burgoys and Wade had one, and, of course, Doug Thurley. But it was your car, especially when you put that blower on. I mean, it, I think at the time it was definitely the fastest of all the Corvairs out there, and there were many more Corvairs out there. I know Malcolm Dorm played around with one, and yep, but when it came right. to racing and going fast, it was your car, and it was Chevy-powered. It did good, and it loved nitro. I mean, it was just the more you put in it, the happier it was. And, and, the, and the little harder you leaned on it, the less it hurt itself. It was a good car. It was a good car. When, when Terry Hedrick came into town, he was uh, working for Doug Farley on Doug's Chevy 2, and Terry ended up working for me. In my shop, he separated from Thorley, and then he became uh, involved. He became the mechanic on the car and uh, on the on the Corvair. And at, then at that time, we had made I had made the transition. The Logie Brothers, two of the smartest people, that the most un, you talk about an unsung pair of individuals in the sport um, with their contribution to safe funny cars. Um, don't ever let them out of uh, your memory bank. But anyway, mm-hmm. I had uh, sold my business to them. They had hired me to run the combined operation. And uh, so Pete uh, put Terry in the seat, and Terry said, well, I don't have a, I don't have a fuel funny car license. And he, he said, make your application, make your, put your application, and if anybody asks, just tell me you're Jay Howell. I never knew about that until later. <laughs> but it was, I, I love it. I love it. So, Jay, when so anyway, you bet the Logie Brothers, we built them a we built them a, another Corvair at Logie's, uh, okay. using the Logie technology, and the car ran very good. And when when uh, Pete got out of the sport, Terry continued on with uh, you know the, the the Super Shakers, which were still Corvair powered, Chevrolet powered. Last I knew, um, yeah, they were. They were Corvairs. Well, Jay. Let me ask you a question. I, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you before. I wanted you to to just hit a point here. A lot of good business deals are put together at strange places. They get put together on golf courses, uh, all sorts of places. But you, Gene and Ron and you had a boys' night out at a skeet shooting place. Uh, is that yep. right? 
That's right. Ted's Blue Rock Gun Club, Warren, Michigan. Um, Tuesday nights, we would go out there and shoot skeet, have a hamburger, and drink a drink a few beers. And, uh, you know, I got to know them. Uh, we hit it off, and uh, we got into a conversation one night, and I said, you know, if, um, if I had, you know, Gene and Ron had more financial resources than I did because they're dad owned the stamping company and uh, plus I mean not to take anything away from them, these guys are talented individuals smart and talented and just a hell of a lot of fun on, on besides so anyway they uh, they came to me a couple weeks later and said you know we'd like to talk to you about buying you out and having you come work for us run the combined operation and uh, let's you know build more stuff have more fun and I, I did it and it was Undoubtedly, one of the better business decisions I've I can ma- I have made in my lifetime. They were I've and never worked for finer people. <laughs> well, that's when you came in contact with Tom Proc. Tom Proc, yep, there's a name for you. Yep, he, Tom had an A gas supercharged car, uh, originally with a Pontiac powered, with a uh, another Detroiter, Ted Henke from the Packer Pontiac era, and they, uh, I don't know, Tom and I met through Logies. I, I can't tell you the, but the, all the, I can't recall all the, exactly when, where, what, and how. But anyway, uh, yeah, I've always had a soft spot, soft spot for 33 Willies and 48 Anglias. So anyway, I, per- and- I said, you know, Tom, Tom had a, an Agas supercharged 33, um, Willis with a, a blown Chevrolet in it, running gasoline. So I was out of a, out of a ride at Logie's and kind of bored, just turning out funny cars as faster than anyone could ever imagine. And uh, so Tom and I were daydreaming one day, and I said, "We're going to take and build an A-gas supercharged car that would just set the world on end." And what we would, what I proposed doing was. We'll take the engine out of your 33, 427 blown Chevrolet gun gasoline, and I'll build a chassis. I'll take a funny car chassis and narrow it, shorten it, and put a 33 Willys body on it with one opening door, so it will be an NHRA legal A-gas supercharged car. And we did. NHRA must have loved that. Um, They what? I say NHRA must have loved that, huh? Uh, not at all. Oh, is that right? Oh, <laughs> we took God. it to we took it we took it to the division meet at uh, Indy, and they would not allow it to race as an A-gas supercharged car because it did not have 1933 Willys frame rails underneath it. Oh my God! I, I, I can't believe this. This is probably the safest car that's ever been out there to date. I mean, we've got all these big John Masmania and and uh, K.S. Pittman, all these legends, you know, and, you know, we're just coming up with something a little bit different called ingenuity. But they were, they, nope, can't do it. Okay, fine. Took the car home, put it up in the attic at Logie's, and let it sit. Um, then when the phone rang during the winter of that year, and it was uh, Bill Hill from the Hill Brothers. And he had come up with this idea, idea of, of campaigning an outlaw circuit of a gas supercharge, except running them on nitro. 
Well, boy, that was like music to my ears. So we pulled the Chevrolet out, changed, put a 426 Hemi in it, made some changes in the chassis, uh, and uh, sent the car off to have it repainted. And the paint job that everyone knows today was was uh, that was the, the, the final paint job on the car. Wow, and, uh, we, that, we put that motor in it, yeah. and we. First of all, it was a hell of a ride because we found out that Willie's at 166 miles an hour wanted to fly from the rear end. Oh, I and, bet. Uh, wow. You're, you know, after a number of passes through the light sideways, left rear tire off the ground, you know, like she's just about to go over and the good old Simpson parachute hits, straightens it out. We uh, started, Tom would follow me down the racetrack and he said, you know, he, he was commenting on how the tire tracks changed down the course, and you see about 1,000 foot mark, you don't see a lot of tire tracks. They get narrow, and then they start skipping from left to right. And we were talking about this at, at Logie's shop, and uh, Ron said, you know, I, he said, I'd be really surprised if this car's flying from the rear. Well, nobody had heard about cars doing that. No. So anyway, he, 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 we all sat down, scratched our head, and Ron sketched out a pair of wings to put on the rear fenders and uh, so we we fabricated them right there in the shop and Tom and I went off the following weekend we went I think it was Eppings, New Hampshire and unloaded it off, off the, out of the trailer and the Hill Brothers and Shores and the group looked at them and laughed and pointed and they knit, they, dubbed, they dubbed them Mickey Mouse Ears the Mickey Mouse Ears first pass <laughs> car run first pass car runs 178 oh next weekend Everybody had Mickey Mouse's on their cars. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You know, back then, 8 O's at 185 was uh, really hanging on to your butt, baby. Yep. That car I was mean, a fun car to ride, ride too. I mean, it did. It carried the front end through the first and second gear, and then it had, you know, a torque flight in it, 2-3 shift. It put the front end down and picked the front end up again. It carried it about the third about the thousand foot mark or so and then it started hazing the tires and then you had to have to start pedaling the car and we were running 1000 M&H's which was the, the best that was out there at the time and the car would still run 8 O's at 185 you know? and it just I, I often have said still says I wish we'd run it one more year because with tire technology moving on we could, that car could have run 200 and it would have been uh it would have been perfect. The car would have loved it. I mean, Tom tuning that motor, when we get down to the finals, you know, when I'd like, he'd, we'd light that thing up, I'd be sitting in the car, and I know he'd have grabbed a hold of the nitro cam. And he'd get that grin on his face, and he's just so like you, his son. So you do to hang Man, on. how to make it, power. You know, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to tell you that, Jay, uh, what I personally saw back in the day, uh, one of my favorite kind I love the Willies and all that, but the Warhorse Mustang, I thought was one of the great looking race cars. The Logie stamping car, you and you and Tommy Proc, uh, like you said, Tom tuning it, you driving it, and uh, uh, the fire burnouts. Uh, my God, that was. Uh, I, I know you hated to sell the Willies. And uh, I think your comment to uh, Phil Burgess was it was a mistake, but we've all done that. But God, you spend a lifetime trying to get him back; you never find him. But 
But uh, talk about that Mustang. Did you like it as much as I liked watching it race? Mustang was another very, very good ride. You know, we just, when part of the deal with my arrangement with Logies was, you know, just to go out into the field and see and keep abreast of what was going on in the sport because they were heavily involved on a day-to-day basis of the stamping plant. Stamping plant made parts for Dodge, Chrysler, Ford, um, plus the, you know, the, the, the Mercury funny cars that they built that, remember, the first ever flip-top bodies, the first, you know, they set a number of firsts in those, with those cars, and that was their doing, period. No one has to share the, the credit for that other than them, but they, uh, they were busy guys. And so they, okay. you know, I came back and I, after attending some race, I said, we need to come up with a new car. We've changed, we've had this stage one chassis for some time. And so we talked about ways to improve it. And we came, we decided to build a test car. So Tom and I sold the Willys and we all pulled the money together and we built the Warhorse, which there was the, the first stage two chassis. And it it worked. It was a it was a dramatic improvement. It was a safer car, and uh, it ran some good numbers. I mean, it did. It won. It won. You know, I, I think I you, I think I think of that that uh, AHRA. We signed up with AHRA. We yep. were second in points going into the last race, which was at Phoenix. <clears throat> I had already made my decision that I was going to retire from the sport at the end of 1970 season and I had an opportunity to sell the car so I sold the car didn't have a car to go to the, the last race with so I rented uh, Roland's Hawaiian and went out there and uh, didn't do as good as I hoped but we, we still finished fourth in the nation but uh, the car ran good uh, that AHRA race at Detroit was uh, probably one of the it was an amazing race it was three a three day event 16 cars uh, full eliminations every day. It's like running Indy, not quite, but <laughs> almost yeah. like running Indy, but running it three times. Uh, that was big stuff. We won it. We won it every day. Never been done. Wow. You know that I was just going to say that that was some accomplishment. All three days, and and uh, I know from. Hearing Gordy Faust, uh, when he and I were traveling on the road, he would talk about those days at Detroit Dragway. And I don't know, uh, Jay, maybe at that time, hell, it was just as big or bigger than Indy, especially that race. When you did that deal, winning those three days, I remember reading about it, um, you know, like Drag News and different people that covered races back in the day. I think I read about it, uh, Greg, in National Speed Sport News that this guy named Jay Howell had been just, I mean, you it, the guys that were there were Tom McEwen, Don Prudhomme, Gene Snow, the Ram Chargers, um, on and on and on. God, Jay, you beat them yeah. all. We did. Um, we raced almost every one of them at, sometime over the three-day period. Not, not everyone, but almost every one of them. And but Jay, we got the third day. Uh, we got it got down to us and Snow, and uh, you know Snow's car ran like a SOB at the other end. But I left on him and uh, pulled him off. And about 1,200 foot, he decided to move into my lane and 
get up, up close and personal. And uh, we yeah. damn near changed, traded some paint, but uh, that that clinched it for us anyway, all three days. Well, I, I know my buddy George and I wants to ask you about some things that you got involved with down the road, and George, I've uh, Jay has told me about that. But before George, I want you to lead into the sailboats via Don the Snake Prudhomme and Jay Howell. Tell them about the friggin' fire burnout deal at that event that made everybody crazy. But go ahead, George. Yeah, so I, I like to know about that. Frankly, that and you know, just backtracking, if I may, Wally and Jay, I'm really concerned, or really want to know, because I never knew anybody that worked at Logie Stamping. And since you did, Jay, what made the Logie chassis in its day the chassis to have? What, in specifics, can you tell me about that? Uh, it was it was a it was a number of things. Number one, it had coilover shock suspension all four corners that they manufactured. Yep. It was an all chromoly tubing, um, jig built chassis. Uh, it had, you know, engine placement was could be moved around to order. The, the roll cage, the body could be fit to the driver and to the body. Um, and it was, I think, beyond this, any any question. It, those were the safest cars of the day. Um, Yep. That there ever were, you know. We had everyone. A lot of people. If you, do you remember the the uh, the Pirelli tire deal, where the Pirelli tire, we all ran Pirelli front tires. I we remember that. Right yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 you know, typical racers, we're all worried about our rear tire air pressure. Well, very few people check the front air pressure tire. Um, and then. And, you know, they were rated to go like 160 miles an hour, and, you know, now we're going 200 on them, and no one's watching the air pressure, and the tire starts getting a lot of sling, and it throws the cap off. That's why Larry Ray is in a wheelchair today. That's why, you know, right. people got hurt, some people badly. Most people, Larry, unfortunately, got hurt because he went into a, a, a guardrail or a ditch or whatever it was, but he ran into it backwards. And yeah, you know, both. cars weren't yeah. they weren't built to go into crashes backwards. But uh, those cars were were exceptionally safe cars. Well, it, it, I, well I always thought they were. Yeah, I always thought they were. I just it's nice to hear the specifics of why those chassis uh, were so good. And I really appreciate you telling us that. But one last well, question here, we can sneak it in, if I may, Jay. <laughs> um, looking over here, a little biography of you. Uh, you were planning in, in 2011 to move aboard a boat and sail the world. Tell us about your adventures on water. Well, in 1990, I, I told you about meeting, Corn, tracking down Cornell in in, uh, in uh, Florida, Fort Myers yeah. Beach. Well, at that time, I had bought a, a you know a long out of racing. This is in the 1990s, early 1990s, and I had bought a cigarette offshore racer which i was having a good mm -hmm. time with and um, my late wife and i were having a discussion and i i was in, in the, i had merged i had moved into the investment business and i said you know we like living on the water and when we're getting ready to retire i question whether we'll be able to afford fossil fuel for a boat like this so my suggestion <laughs> is we learn how to sail and that's what we did and uh 
we had we we went from not liking it so much to loving it. And then she passed away, and I had I bought a a larger boat and was still I still had this I wanted this drive I wanted to sail, and so uh, I went I bought this boat and we went. It was a forty foot Juneau. Um, we called it Farniente, which is life uh, or doing nothing or without a care. And uh, mm-hmm. we moved it to, uh, with my now wife, Diane, lovely woman, we moved it to Oriental, put it together, and we went sailing. We lived aboard for eight years and uh, sailed from the northern Maine to the far southern Bahamas. And uh, one of the best experiences of my life, except we're doing it at seven knots. <laughs> I love it. I was going to wow, say nice great. and easy. That's great. Yep. That Jay, uh, on top of that, you also toured the country uh, with an RV and had a hell of a good time. Just just came back. We sold the boat a year coming up on a year ago. We I, I said okay, we've done this, and there's so much we, we've been, we've had a great time on our sailing adventures but think of all we haven't seen on land in this great country we are blessed to live in so we put the boat up for sale it was probably the best equipped 1991 as you know 40 in the world and it sold very quickly and uh, I mean it was a fully functional water maker solar generator everything that you could want uh, appointed boat so you could live offshore for extended periods of time, which we did in the southern Bahamas because we a lot of the cruisers down there uh, live anchor off of uninhabited islands, which which are just fabulous. So anyway, we sold the boat and we bought an RV and we returned about two weeks ago from an 11,000 plus mile 20 state, 10 national park uh, tour out west. Wow. That's where we are now. We're just kind of getting our feet back on the ground. Well, that you know, Jay, it it, it we could go on for hours, uh, literally. <laughs> Unfortunately, we're com- we're coming down to the end of our show tonight. But uh, I would love to have you come back on our show again, and uh, <laughs> because I know that. Uh, both George and Greg and Gordy want to go over a bunch of stuff with you because, you know, uh, hell, we don't have time to even talk about it tonight. But I personally want to hear about that that fire burnout because I'm I'm very aware of how it is to be strapped in the car and you're kind of watching right. people working with you and and, and <laughs> when they give you those big eyes, uh, like you said, Jay. You got a pretty good hunch that they've loaded you to go down that racetrack pretty good, you know, and, and we'll get into that, but I want to thank you sincerely for being here and, and, um, and I, I also, uh, as, as Greg Zyla so well put it, you're the legend and, and believe me, you're, you're an awesome, uh, thank you for what you've done for our sport and, and thanks for the, for the innovations that may have, you may not have think about this very much, but you may have saved some people's lives along the way. And uh, I thank you for what you've done, and and you deserve to be in the Hall of Fames that you're in, and you're going to be in some more. And with that, George, George, say good night to Jay, and 
close up our show, would you please? Well, I would be just delighted to. Jay, it's been very nice hearing you, and, and I, I've known about you for so long. It's so great. But on behalf of the Zeus Radio Network and uh, DragRacersReunionRadio.com, I'd like to thank Wally Bell, our master here, Greg Zyla, Gordy Faust, and, of course, the main man, uh, Jeff Gilder. So on behalf of all of us, and especially the people on the chat room, it's always good to see you each week. Thank you. This is George and I saying goodbye. Goodbye.